If you are new here, that is not a requirement. If you would like your child to stay with you, that is quite all right. There's an option that we make available for our, our little ones. Um, uh, children of all ages may uh, turn over a few pages in the bulletin. There's a um, there's some activity sheets for our active learners. Um, Phyllis, I'm joking. You, you're just right there. Anyway, that's why you, you sit up front. I'm going to pick on you. Anyway, look at all those people in the back. Anyway, um, but uh, there's that you can you can do. Uh, kids, I encourage you to do that. We also have for our our older children they have we have journals over there and so if you want to draw or take notes of the sermon uh, Miss Alishka has made those available in that little green box over there uh, see if you have one with your name on it that's another way to be interactive with with what's going on in the in the service um, so um, we are starting a new series we're starting a new series we're looking at first Peter the first letter of Peter that's in the scriptures um, um, and uh, if you will turn there uh, with me to First Peter chapter one, um, I um, I'm not going to do like say everything in, a, in an introduction, but I, I want to say this: um, this this letter um, covers a lot of themes. I talked about it a little bit last week, but um, this this letter, as I read it, reminds me of uh, some advice I got. When I started out as a preacher, it's um, one of my one of my mentors and my professors, Derek Thomas. Um, he said that something that sustained him was having what he called a blue file, and uh, and uh, he actually it was blue. But what he did was, anytime he got notes of encouragement, he would keep them and put them in the file, the letters, thank you cards, whatever he'd put in the blue file. For when he was feeling blue, <laughs> when he was feeling like, you know, the futility of ministry, the weight of his sin, you know, like these are things that, that preachers, pastors feel too. And he just kept them, he goes, hang on to these things because you're going to go through times like this and you're going to feel the weight of, weight of ministry, the weight of life. And he said, you keep that file. And so I have a little blue file, you know, just... And that's good. And that's, it's not just ministry. It, it, keep, hang on to that stuff. Hang on to that stuff. Go and read that. Go hear people telling you that they appreciate you or just to see that you're doing a good job and just those things. I, this letter um, from Peter is, is like that. It's, it's, um, it's kind of, it's a letter, but it's in some ways written as a, a little bit like a sermon. But it's, and I said this last week, it's just so full of, encouragement is it full of just looking at and especially this this greeting these first five verses looking at who we are what God's made us to be and what he's done for us and then the very next section it acknowledges that what this is hard and we're, we're going to save that for next week but verse six we see there that it talks about suffering and trial and hardship and that, that it's, he calls us to be holy, but he acknowledges it's hard to do that. He calls us to, he talks about the, how to live in light of Christ, in the light of Christ, in the light of his gospel. He talks about being holy. He talks about submitting to authorities. He talks about marriage. He talks about, um, uh, about uh, all kind of things. But he's also acknowledging that to these new Christians in this 
this new movement in the world that there's much persecution, there's much struggle, but yet God's Word um, is living and active, and there's real hope. We're real, in a dark places, there's still this light of Christ that permeates. And so this is, as many of these letters are, they, they're kind of like you know, a letter of encouragement, acknowledging the hurt, acknowledging what's hard, acknowledging the struggle, but causing us, encouraging us to keep looking to Jesus. And so, you know, I, I want us to know this letter as a church, and I want you to know it, and in a sense, kind of, this would be a place you go. This be in your blue file. Um, it's not denying the struggle. It's not denying the hardship. It's not denying your weakness and your sinfulness, but it's encouraging you in what God is doing in our midst, in and what he's doing in you and through you by his spirit. So with that said, let's, let's pray and then uh, look at these first five verses together. Gracious God, thank you so much for, um, for all of scripture, for this breathed out word um, from you. And for um, not only speaking um, to these to and through uh, these men, these apostles and prophets, but preserving it for us now. Um, Lord, we, we are weak and heavy laden. We are um, overwhelmed. Uh, we are anxious. Um, we, are, we feel weakness not only in our bodies, but also in our minds and in our, in our spirit. Lord, we, we need you, and we thank you that we have you. So, Lord, help us to hear this good word, to be reminded of, of the kind of people you use to bring your word uh, into the world, to, to be reminded of who, who we are as your people, and just the um, full measure of blessing that is to us. Lord, we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to, a, to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, this isn't super creative, but I want us to see three things here. and They're just right, right in the text here. We're going to look at the writer. We're going to look at the recipient's. And then thirdly, the reason for hope. The writer, the recipients, and the reason for hope. You know, we have a, 
If you're if you want to and take part in a little Bible study, we do have one that meets before the service at nine thirty called Faith Conversations, and what that is is looking at uh, the text, thinking about the text that's going to be preached. And one of the things I asked at the very beginning, who wrote this? And so, you know, I like to give easy questions. You know, it's right there. It's an easy one. Who wrote this? Who wrote this letter? Uh, it said Peter is the first word. We know who wrote it. You know, so I can just move on, right? I want to say a little bit about Peter, though. <laughs> uh, the writer. Um, note that, uh, remember that Peter's got, uh, this wasn't his given name, right, when he was born. His mama didn't name him Peter. Who named him? Jesus. Jesus named, gave him this name. And he says, I, I am Peter, uh, the rock, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And again, that's that's very accurate, and he's not very he's not going into much detail other than that, which is typical of a guy who what who who was a, a fisherman from Galilee. He says it like it is. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's 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 simple, but it's profound, right? Um, Peter is not someone that if there was a. Um, you know, we're taught we're going to be hiring a head of school. We've written a job description. There's qualifications. We'd love to have someone with a master's degree. We'd love to have someone with 10 years experience. Peter had a really bad resume. <laughs> right? If you were thinking, who are going to, who's the 12 dudes that are going to help found this, start the church? Peter's not one of them. He's, he's blue collar. He's a fisherman. He's, he's, he's grown. He's, you know, we know that he's got a mother-in-law. So that means he's married. That's not hard to figure out. I figured it dead by myself. Anyway, I didn't have to look at the commentary. He's married. He's, he's attached. He's, got, you know, these, he's already kind of established himself. He's got a career. But he's also just not, not, you know, not an educated guy. We come to find out as we get to hear from him and know him, he, he's really quick to speak and slow to think. <laughs> You know, he said, I mean, there's no, there's no separation between what he's thinking and what comes out of his mouth. Like some people we know. Anyway, um, but like he, it's just, you know, there's not much filter. He gets it right, he gets it wrong. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, batting 500 when it comes to, you know, having the right answers. You are the Christ. You know, but I have to die. No, 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 you're not. You're Peter. Now, no, Satan, get behind me. That's a, that's a big swing there, right? And so Peter is just, um, he's not the picture of, he's not a rock. He's not steady. He's not the foundation you would think you'd build an organization on. He's not CEO material. He's not senior pastor material. He's not, you know, I don't know, you know, he's just not. But yet, what does God do? This is one of the guys he calls, and this is one of the inner, the inner circle, one of the three that he really connects with. And though Peter, um, Peter it, it, you know, in his own strength, in his own way, uh, gets it wrong, and then at the very end of Jesus' life gets it wrong miserably, like big time, just denies Jesus. I will never deny you. I will die for you three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. He's anything but Peter, anything but a rock. But now on this side of the resurrection, on this side of his restoration, because you remember, he fails miserably, but at the end of John, John 21, Jesus comes. It's like, do you love me? 
feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he's like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And it's not because he's strong in himself. He never was Peter because he in himself was such a mighty rock and pillar. But through his failure, through his, through his weakness, he looks to God and, and Jesus restores him. And through that, he becomes Peter. It was a process. It, it took time. And, on, on, and then you see this man who, facing, you know, with persecution, sure, death being right there in front of him, stands up and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ at Pentecost. Then he is, goes to prison and sleeps soundly, knowing he's going to die the next morning, but then is miraculously rescued. But he didn't know that. If anything, he's anything but... Peter, but then through the work of, of God, through this, this work of re- redeeming love and restoration, he becomes, he, he lives up to the name. And then he, we know from church tradition that um, he's martyred, he's crucified, but then, but values and, and honors Jesus so much, he goes, I should not die the way Jesus died, he's crucified upside down according to church tradition. Which would take much longer to die. Um, That's Peter. (laughs) Um, Not a superman, not a... Don't think of the apostles as, you know, just the best of the best, but examples of God, God's grace and mercy and transforming love. They're pictures of that. He's writing not, you know, kind of down to these people, down to these people of, of, of Asia Minor, all these places. He's, he's, he's teaching and talking and speaking as one who's experienced all they've experienced and more. He's speaking in his own weakness and speaking in the power of Jesus Christ. That's Peter. And we'll, we'll, we'll interact more with his story as we looked at his letter as we move on. But that's the writer. The writer isn't a superman. He's someone who is sent out by Jesus, an apostle. He's sent out by the one who's changed his life through his redeeming, restoring love. And everything he says of the recipients is true for him. And so that's the writer, that's, Paul, that's, that's Peter. Um, second, the recipients. And um, this is a, a pretty full description of, 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 of the people getting this letter. Um, he starts out saying that they are, as we read here, elect exiles of the dispersion. And I want to look first at that word, the dispersion. That's a... A Greek word, a translation from diaspora, which means the dispersed, the dispersion, or scattered, scattered people. And, uh, you know, when we're thinking about who this letter is to, it's, at first you think, well, maybe he's talking primarily to Jews because the dispersion or the diaspora was what, what was used to refer to the, the Jews that were scattered throughout the world um, uh, after the exile of, of, of 587, when, when Babylon conquered Judah. And so they're the, they're the dispersed ones, the scattered ones. And so, you know, the Jews were scattered. You know, think about it. They were taken into exile and they lived other places. And so that was used of them. But here he's using it to talk about New Testament believers. 
And if you and you're going, well, is he talking primarily to 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 Jewish converts or to Gentiles? When we read First Peter, it becomes obvious that he's talking to um, Gentiles. And look, look at verse 18 of chapter one. Um, he says, "Knowing that you were trans." A ransom from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. There's a that seems to be talking about those who are outside the, the covenant people, those who were Gentiles, who were you know, you know, worshipped other gods, lived other a, a very a culture very opposed to the ways of God. Also, if you look at uh, chapter four, verse three, it says, "For this, for the time that is." past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Again, he's speaking to people that that was their way of life. That was what they were. That's what they did. That was common in their culture. And so he's speaking to um, Gentile believers, uh, Gentile converts, that live in this region of Asia Minor. And that's where these places are. I'm sure y'all knew where all those places were. Um, <laughs> no, but these are just these are Roman provinces in Asia Minor. And they're really not, these are not the most popular places, the most important regions of, of, of Roman Empire by any means. Um, and you'll notice, and if you've, uh, one commentator pointed out that these are places that Paul doesn't mention. There's a, 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 a time when Paul wants to go to that region of Asia, and he says, I was, I was prevented. And that's when he goes across the Aegean to Philippi. And so, apparently, this place where Paul didn't get to go, you know, we, we pick up here with Peter, it wasn't that nobody went. Peter went there. Other Christians, other missionaries went there. And, which is cool. I mean, just, wow, the, the, the word went out, and it reached, even though it wasn't, Paul that got to some of these places, the word, the gospel still did. And so he's, he's writing to a particular, uh, you know, particular churches in these particular provinces in Rome, but he refers to them as the dispersed, as the scattered. Um, next he says, he, he uh, describes them as exiles. And again, that goes with this whole idea of, this, of the Jewish dispersion. That they were forced to leave. But if it's Gentiles who from these areas, in what ways are they exiles? And they're exiles in the same way that you and I are exiles. They have a citizenship that's not Roman, but they're citizens of heaven, of God's kingdom. And so you see what he's doing. He's taking this Jewish concept of those that are Scattered, but don't and are really living in a home that's not theirs. And you're going, that's what it is to be a Christian. Is to be living in a world that really that we don't belong to. I'm not saying we withdraw; we're to be in it, but not of it. But he's saying we're in a place. We're living in a world that's broken and fallen. And again, you go back to chapter four, verse three, what we just read, and you're like, what he are being called to this new life they're being called to live is very different. Than what they've known. And he's acknowledging that. He's saying, You feel like you don't belong at home anymore because you really don't. Your real home is with the Lord. So they're scattered, they're citizens not of this world but of heaven, and they feel it. They feel like they're exiles. 
Then he says they're elect. They're elect. He actually starts out with that, how, how this is translated in the ESV. Those who are elect exiles. Elected, uh, goes on to say, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I, this isn't going to be a sermon on election. But you realize that they're elected according to his foreknowledge. And oftentimes, that phrase gets misconstrued. And I've said this, and some of you, I've talked about it. If you've asked me about election, this is where I go with. Here's, here's the illustration. How do I figure this out? How does God know who his people are going to be? Let me ask you, when you get a book, when you get your favorite novel or a novel that, you know, how do you know the end? You read it. You've got to read it. Some of you in the room, and I don't understand this, will skip and read the last chapters. Anybody do that? Don't raise your hand. Uh, but I've heard people doing that. I want to see how it ends before I start reading it. It's like, that's interesting. Anyway, I like to be surprised. But you can't just skip and read the end. So if you're in a book club and you're all reading the book together and you could like, I already know the ending and you could tell people, you know, like, hey, shh, don't. You know, but you'd have foreknowledge of what's going to happen because you've skipped and read. You read the whole thing real quick or you skipped to the last chapter. Is that how God knows who's going to be his people? No. How does the author know the ending of the book? He wrote it. He wrote the book. He didn't have to read it. He made it so. He wrote every sentence, every letter. He was in charge of the whole thing. And so when it says he has foreknowledge, it doesn't mean God just in his you know, omniscience and his, and his ability to, to look into the future saw who would convert. No, he wrote the story. He's the author and perfecter. He wrote the story. He knew. What this means is when it says he has through, that they're elect through his foreknowledge, it means that he has loved them for all eternity. From all eternity. Now, can you understand that? Can you fathom that? Those are words, and we kind of know the meaning, but we can't fathom it. Eternity. But to be elect means that God's heart was for these people before he even made the universe. That's the foreknowledge we're talking about. They're scattered, they're exiled, they're elected, and then it ends with sanctified by the Spirit, set apart as his people, sprinkled, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is who you are. That's what Peter's saying. And that's true for you and for me. When I read this, it made me, um, it made me think about Waffle House. You're like, Grant, when do you not think about Waffle House? Now, that's a lot, actually. I don't think about it all the time. But you know when you're ordering hash browns? And you order it all the way? Scattered, smothered, covered, chunk, top, diced, pepper, capped. I had to look it up. I didn't know the order by heart. I could do without the, the, the capped and the dice, but the others I like. Anyway, um, you might have hash browns at Waffle House ever. Is that, raise your hand. Just, okay, there's shame in it. It was like, you know, it's like an adult still gets Happy Meals. Like, yeah, I do it. Okay, anyway, um, you yeah, know, okay. But, the toys are cool. But, okay, so... But think, I want you to think about that because it says that grace and peace to you be in, in, 
to the, to the fullest or to the full measure in the ESV. He says, multiply to you. Other versions say, I want, may grace and, and peace be to you to the fullest measure. So when you're getting your hash browns to the fullest measure, <laughs> that's all those things. And I want you to think about that's... That's what, that's what you get as God's people. You get to the full... You get... When you get grace and peace of God all the way, it's scattered, exiled, elected, sanctified, and sprinkled. <laughs> it's, it's all true of you. It's not just some of it. It's not just a little bit of it. It's not just a, some measure. It's the full measure. It's the full order of all the grace and peace of God. You're scattered, exiled. That doesn't sound good, but it's true. But you're elected, sanctified, and sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's, just, that's just beautiful, isn't it? Hey, you're, you're out here in this not very important provinces in Rome, Roman Empire. You feel like exiles. Yes, but you are. You have all the grace and all the peace of God because He's loved you for all eternity. <laughs> You've been sanctified. You've received the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the Spirit, and you are secure through the, through the, through the blood of the Lamb. You're sprinkled. You've been washed. And again, we've just got through uh, looking at Exodus, so we understand what that means to be sprinkled with the blood, right? Because when the covenant was made, and the people said, yeah, we'll keep the covenant. He took half the blood and did what? Poured it on the, on the utensils and on the, on, the, on the altar. And then he took the rest of it and he sprinkled it on the people. Symbolizing that their sins have been atoned for and they're secure in his covenant, but we have a better Better blood, better sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We're sprinkled, all of us sprinkled, in a sense, with this atoning sacrifice of God. We're secure in Him. That's who we are. That's who they are. That's the recipients. And that's who we are as well. Grace and peace to the full measure. That order is all the way. The last thing I want us to see is the reason for hope. We have the writer, we have the recipients. What's the reason for hope? And, and the reason for hope is, you see in verse 3, there's, 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 he says, Blessed be God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He's moved to praise. And why not, after all that he just reminded, all that he's just said, that's true for him and true for the recipients, blessed, praise be God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Why? What's our reason for hope? How can we hope in this and know that this is true for us? Well, it doesn't come because we deserve it. It comes because God's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. What we deserve is His displeasure. And if you've ever gone, I don't know that I'm a Christian because I, re- I recognize my sin, I recognize I'm undeserving, but, and, and, and I don't deserve this. How, how can I know? But God is merciful. That's how you know. That's how you know. 
that, you, that this makes sense to you and you acknowledge Christ as Savior and then you acknowledge that He's merciful. That's why your sins aren't kept against you. Because, because you've been sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve the sacrifice. You don't deserve any of it. It's grace. It's mercy. The whole idea of, do, well, how do, I, how do I deserve it? Do I deserve it today? Did I deserve it yesterday? The answer is always no. It's always by mercy. It's by the exercise of His gracious compassion, writes Harold, that, that, that the Lord deposits a loveliness to His people in whom He could discover no loveliness. I think it's, I think it's um, C.S. Lewis says he, you know, we're, he loves, because he loves us, he makes us lovely. Something to that effect. And that, that's it. That's, it's his desire to show mercy. That's the reason. And, and then let's think about the aspects of this blessing. That we, we, we can, we're, through his mercy, it says that we are regenerated. Accord His mercy has caused us to be born again. Again, this is something we say a lot. This very common phrase in, in, in Christianity. This is reminds you of what of of of, of John three as as um, this Pharisee comes and says, well, "How can I be saved? You have to be born again." And he's like, "What are you talking about? I've already been born. I how can a grown person be fit back in his mother's womb? What does this even mean?" <laughs> so confusing. This is strange language. He goes, "But you're made new." Is what he means. It's like being born again. You're you're renewed. You're what you you know. You're you're no longer uh, just defined by your failure, defined by your sin nature. You are new, renewed in Christ. Regeneration, regenerated, brand new. Not only that, but you have a living hope. A living hope. What does that mean to have a living hope? It means to have a, a hope that's vibrant and alive. Not, a, not a, one that you can count on. One that's never going to fail is what it means. He also calls this hope, this living hope, an inheritance. And what that means is it's not... It's not earned, right? No one earns an inheritance. Again, going back to the mercy, the grace of God. If it was, it's not, not a wage. It's an inheritance. Inheritance is a, a something that you receive because someone has died and put you in their will, right? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't make it. You didn't, you didn't earn it. You didn't come up with it. You just receive it. And that's what he says, this hope, this living hope is, is an inheritance. Through the death of Jesus Christ, we get not what we earn, but what he earned. And what he earned, he gives and shares with us. And, he, and then he goes on to, to, to define it, to, to, um, to, to share the qualities of this inheritance, of this living hope. He, and he uses negation. He uses negatives. It's not perishable. It's not defiled. It's not fading. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Why does he do that? One commentator said, because it, the, the nature of this wonderful inheritance, of this hope that we have as Christians, is far beyond our conceptual powers. He says it's easier for Peter to say what it is not than to say what it is. 
It's not from this world. It's not from this fallen world that we know. It's, it's not perishable. It's imperishable. It cannot die. cannot be lost. cannot be stolen. won't rot. won't be ruined. It's undefiled. It's pure and pristine. It's not marred or spoiled or corrupted. It never can be. And it's unfading. It will, it will never diminish. In its value, in its virtue, in any way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? But how how can we be sure that this this inheritance and if you know you've if you've dealt with estates and inheritance, some of you are dealing with that. I've just dealt with that. It's hard, and you you don't know if that you know what there's money over there. How's it going to come through? You know how many tax how many you know how much is it going to be taxed? How much we're going to pay the lawyer? You know, but how how do we know this inheritance that this this hope is this living hope is going to come through for you for you and for me? He tells us. He says because. First of all, we are being guarded and kept by God. We are secure in Him. Until that inheritance comes, He says, we are being what? Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. There is no greater power. There is no greater strength. There is no one else to look to. If God's power is guarding you, then it goes back to the Psalm 27. Then who should I be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? You and I are being kept in the power of Yahweh. And there is no greater power. And this, this, this power is received and engages us and protects us through faith, he says. This faith is the means by which God by the means by which God's protective power is engaged. And this is not, again, something we do. It's not something we earn. Faith is a gift. So this God-given faith, by it, through it, we receive this God-given, this, this God, we receive God's power to keep us and guard us. So we are secure until the day of that inheritance. But also, it tells us that our inheritance is being kept secure. Look what it says in verse 4. We are bent to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Where do you keep what's most valuable to you? Hope it's not on your, po- your, on your person right now. <laughs> I just keep it in my pocket, you know. I've got this heirloom. It's worth uh, more than my house. I just keep it in my pocket. And you go, hey, dude, don't do that, right? That would be your advice. You keep it in the safe deposit box. You keep it somewhere secure. Maybe you have a safe at the house. Right? You keep it in a secure location. Here's this inheritance, this beautiful thing. It's kept in heaven. Far away from the enemy. Far away from, the, from, from this fallen world. Again, how can it be kept undefiled and perishable? Because it's kept in heaven. It's secure. It's beyond the destructive power of the enemy. And it's also we can have hope and be secure and know that we'll get it. We can be so sure of it because... It's already complete. Did you catch that? (laughs) It's not an inheritance that's being assembled. It's not something that's being put together. It's not something that they're working on. An inheritance that's being kept in heaven for you. 
because, and we know that it's already, it's already done. It's, it's, it's finished, it's completed, and it's being kept. Ready, okay, yeah, verse 5, ready to be revealed at the last time. It's not, it's not a salvation that's under construction. It's, it's done. And, because, and this, is, this brings us back to the first part of chapter 3, or the, the first part of, 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 the, of the section. Um, if you look at verse 3, it tells us that all this happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be so sure of this because we're being guarded by God's power through faith. Our inheritance is being kept in heaven and it's already complete because the inheritance is Jesus himself. The resurrected Jesus Christ, the God and man at the right hand of the Father. He himself is our resurrection, is our inheritance, is our salvation. This is, this is the living hope we have, the living Christ, our living Savior. And, and again, why, why do I say tuck this away in the blue file? We forget all the time what God can do in a person. And, and we need to look at Peter. You sometimes go, I, 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 I can't be used by God. I, I'm, not, can't, I'm not secure in my, in my walk with God. I, look at Peter. Look, it was a process. Look at his life. Look at, look at where he is. He now is Peter, the apostle. That's not what he once was. That's what, God, that's what Jesus made him to be. Um, why, why this need to be in your blue file? Because we forget who we are. We forget why we feel... Like we don't belong. We forget why we feel out of place. And then we forget what God has made us to be. We're, we're His chosen, elect people, washed in the blood of the Lamb, empowered, sanctified by His Spirit, secure through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a sure living hope because we have a secure inheritance and we are kept secure to receive Christ Himself and all that He has earned, all that He has accomplished, He shares with His people. That is something to hang on to. That's something to look to and remember. What can God do in the life of a person? Who are you through the eyes of, of, of God? How does He see you? What has He done? What has He made you? And why you can live with hope even in the hard things of this life. We look to Jesus, our imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this, your word. Bless it to us. Help us to remember it. Help us to look to the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are and what you've accomplished for us. We thank you for these, these sweet words from Peter, inspired by you, Holy Spirit. Um, May we remember just what it, what it means to, to, to receive your grace and peace in full measure. What it means to have a living hope. 
And Lord, work these things in our hearts as we continue in this letter, as he continues to take the good news of the gospel of who you, who you are, what you've made us to be, and, and how, you, how you equip us to live for you. Um, Lord, work this in us. And, and Lord, may this, may this meal that we're about to partake, this, this communion, may it remind us uh, and drive home that we really are secure in you, that, this, that you, uh, you gave your body, you shed your blood so that we may have a place at the table and that we would just know, even from this again, that, that our inheritance is sure and uh, that we don't have a, a, a maybe hope, an earthly hope, but a living, eternal hope. For you are our hope, Lord Jesus. Amen.